I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, welcome in. Lake Kick is live. It is Tuesday night, September 22nd, the year of our Lord, 2020. There's nothing to joke about tonight. It is game week all over the country. The SEC is about to crank up. We've got a lot of SEC content tonight, as promised to you Sunday night. We've got several predictions on the show tonight. I've got added best bets in the Ramen Noodle Express. Still working on branding that. Uh, game previews tonight. We've got an LSU grand season preview tonight. There are a lot of peas on the show tonight, and hopefully you enjoy them all. So Here's what I need you to do. I need you to, if you're already in, and we've got a lot of new viewers coming in every show, I can see the unique viewer metrics. So a lot of you are new, and that's great. A lot of you live your life in the summer, and you just come back to the trough in the fall, and that probably means you got a lot more balance in your life than we do. Subscribe to the channel on YouTube if you haven't already, and find the Late Kick Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and subscribe there. As I said, our numbers are going up. I wouldn't quite use the word exponentially, but they're going up by a pretty steep degree every week. So thank you so much for that. And I also wanted to say, as I did on the Late Kick Extra podcast this morning, before we get started on a jam-packed show tonight, I wanted to let you know I was scrolling through a lot of your messages. You guys send by the hundreds comments, not even questions, just comments. And they all say a version of the same thing. And it's just thank you in what has been the craziest offseason in history. Thank you for just talking about what we want you to talk about. And that's not even just late kick. That's what we've tried to do at 24-7. We've kind of stayed in the lane that you ask us repeatedly to stay in. I've yet to get an email that said, will you please get out of this lane and talk about non-sports related stuff? Every one of you, to a man and woman, say, hey, could you stay in that lane and talk about it? So I don't care what anyone else does. That's what we're doing here, and it kind of validates a lot of the work that we do here to read those comments. So I may not respond to all of them. I don't have time to. You send them, like I said, by the hundreds. But it lets me know you understand what we're doing here, and you're on board with it, and it's really appreciated. So thank you when you reach out. And if you want to reach out, you can see my contact information there at the bottom of the screen, at Josh on Twitter, and joshpate706 at gmail.com. So we've got a lot to get to tonight. Let's waste no time. Uh, we could not get it all in tonight, actually. So don't miss a show. I've got a lot coming Thursday night that's brand new that we haven't even had time to talk about on the Sunday or, at that point, the Tuesday show. So tune in every show. Let's dive in here. We've been doing our grand season preview series. We've been doing them for a lot of SEC teams. We will do them for a lot of Big Ten teams a couple of weeks from now. It is LSU night tonight. What we do with these is we give you areas of focus. We give you biggest questions. We give you record projections of all different varieties. And then at the very end, I'm going to give you my official record projection for LSU. This was the period of time last year where we hopped on board. We hurled ourselves, not in front of, like the rest of you did later in the season, but onto the LSU train. And we rode that thing all the way to New Orleans, and I was on the field as that purple and gold confetti rained down all over that LSU team. And so the mood tracker as we start it tonight for LSU 
This is a team, this is a fan base that has that kind of house money swagger. It's the kind of swagger, if you've ever watched Wheel of Fortune, if you've had like a historically good round and you've already locked up like 75K and it's in the bank and you go do the final spin thing, if you win, that's great and Pat Sajak may hand you a new car or something like that. But even if you lose, you're walking away with 75 grand. That is the kind of swagger that only house money can allow you to have. That's what LSU is walking into this season with. If you're watching on YouTube, this is some of the cell phone footage we shot of Ed Orgeron as he was walking off the field in the national title game last year. You can't take that away from LSU. Nobody can take it away from you. You'll have that forever. Even on the darkest of days if they come this season. Just pop in that Clemson replay. Check out on the YouTube link that uh, Georgia replay. It's always going to be there. So... The house money swagger is something that LSU and only LSU walks around with this year. The areas of focus for this team, the perception, this is evolving, to be honest with you, the perception externally versus the internal perception, because this hasn't always been the case with LSU over the course of the summer. There's a lot of you are familiar with like the Dunning-Kruger effect, which is where, you know, you have that initial period where you think you know everything, and then you have a trough where you realize you know nothing, and then there's sort of what they call the slope of enlightenment. That's once you figure out you know nothing, you start your slow journey towards wisdom. Well, LSU has had this kind of internal version of their own Dunning-Kruger effect going on in the offseason. It's like you have last year, and then you lose everybody, but you're confident. you got a good recruiting class that comes in, and so you're all up here. And then you have opt-out after opt-out after opt-out, and you have negative headlines all over the place, and then you have the low point. But now, whereas the public, I think, still perceives LSU in that trough and the low point there, the internal perception at LSU is, no, we're going to be okay. Like, there is a lot of, I would say, internal optimism down there amongst not only the coaching staff, but people ultra close to the program. This is not going to be a national headline you see. I think nationally, a lot of people think, oh, six and four, seven, three. There's a lot of eight and two, nine and one predictions in LSU circles. And I'm not talking about eternal optimists. I'm talking about people who are realistic and follow the program. So needless to say, there are reasons, and I would call them somewhat newfound reasons, to be optimistic down there. A second thing that I think we all need to focus on is you don't need to overthink the room. This is Miles Brennan's show now. Joe Burrow out the door. The Joe Moore award-winning offensive line of last year. Some of them out the door. Some of them still there. But this is Miles Brennan's show. And if they go 8-2 and two or better, that means, in all light, I don't even think I need to say that. Just that flat out means LSU has gotten very good to elite quarterback play and production from the quarterback position. And by the way, you don't have to have what you had last year. Uh, no one will. I'll make that bold prediction now, LSU or otherwise. No one will have that kind of production this year. And I don't necessarily think you need it. The third thing is the overall team DNA. This is the most intangible of intangibles, but it is one of the very most important storylines for any team. And I would double that. For LSU, they go from just on the surface, ultra talented, and they were ultra experienced and they were hungry. They had full program buy in. A bunch of dudes who were going to go on to play Sunday ball in the first round, they were fully bought in. It was none of what can LSU do for me, it was all of what can I do for LSU. They go from that to ultra green in many places, ultra unproven in many places, so therefore, question marks in many places, and they got a target on their forehead because as much as maybe a fan may say, oh, I don't expect anything more than seven and three from LSU. Therefore, we don't classify them being hunted like a Clemson or an Ohio State. 
No one in this conference has lost their receipt from last year. Alabama still very well remembers what happened last year. Auburn remembers how close they came last year. Everybody remembers. So it doesn't matter what you think. <laughs> I say that kindly. Everyone in this conference kept their receipt from last year. So you better believe LSU is the hunted. I don't care what a preseason record prediction has on them. Let's talk about biggest questions with LSU. Where's the pass rush coming from? I think a lot of people are blanketly saying, oh, their defensive line's going to struggle. Well, they're, they're two very different worlds here, especially going to the even man front here with Bo Pelini. Defensive tackle, the interior of their defensive line, I actually feel really good about. I think Ed Orgeron, I think that coaching staff feels really good about it. I think they have reason to feel good about it. It's the edge where I have the concern. And I think they may be playing some guys out there that in terms of body type, they'd normally like to be able to kick inside, but they just don't have the elite edge rusher options here. And while I may not be worried about that interior all that much, I don't think you know people are going to be racking up 250, 300 yards rushing on LSU. They are going to be in several one-possession type games in the fourth quarter this year. The kind where you need a stop, the kind where you need to pressure or hurry a quarterback, the kind where you cannot allow a team to do what, for instance, you were able to do against Georgia. And that's just stand there and wait for someone to come open because I don't care which secondary you're going up against, including yours. Best one in the country is not throwing a blanket over someone for nine seconds. That doesn't happen. Second best question here, or biggest rather, is what is this offensive line? going to allow this defense to do. I remember this time a year ago, we were getting ready for the season. I guess it was a little bit earlier than this time a year ago. And offensive line was a question at LSU, but some people inside the program were saying a lot is being overblown about the questions around our offensive line because the offensive philosophical shift here is going to be such that if there are weaknesses and vulnerabilities here, we can mask them. Well, what happened was LSU went on to win the Joe Moore Award, as I mentioned earlier, best offensive line in the country. So he had the best quarterback in the country with the best offensive line in the country, at least in terms of the award, in front of him. So now a lot of that changes. And you have Miles Brennan, so you come back to earth a little bit, you would figure from a quarterback production standpoint. But you also wonder, when, when you know offensive line play and the difference in just the fractions of a second and fractions of an inch, that's the kind of stuff that's worth in all likelihood one or two wins. If you're going to play a lot of one possession type ball games, which I think they will, those fractions of seconds and inches, that's all the difference in the world. And last year, they were able to come out on the plus side in that equation. And that is a big question mark for me this year. The third one, and I rarely take our biggest questions and focus on one non-quarterback player, much less a true freshman, but we're going to do it here. I could not have been any bigger a believer in Eric Gilbert, even during his recruitment. I was very surprised when he committed to LSU, and he has obviously since signed with LSU. He's got really good choice and style there, as you can see in the shorts if you were watching on the video. Eric Gilbert is going to be one of the best players in the SEC this year. He's never played a down, never played a down in college football. I think, if healthy, of course, he will be one of the best players in the SEC this year. What I wonder about him is, they're going to play him, obviously. He's going to be one of the focal points of their offense, and they'd be dumb not to. I wonder what he allows them to do in terms of multiplicity and flexibility. Last year, when you watched LSU, they never had to sub. They just go up and down the field. 12, 13 play drives, if it took them that long to score, you get the idea here. They never had to sub. Tempo, 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 and you couldn't sub. And they could go heavy, and they could go full spread on you and keep the same kind of players on the field. I wonder if Eric Gilbert allows them to do that or if when he's on the field, you understand what's coming. Now, you may still not be able to stop it, but you understand they're throwing the ball here 
Or is Eric Gilbert the kind of guy who can inline block for you as a true freshman and be a viable option doing that? Can he get his nose dirty? Is he the kind of guy, even as a true freshman, who is so advanced physically that he can do that? So those are some questions that I have about LSU. As for record projections, as I've told you, and if you haven't watched these before, what we like to do here, instead of doing the predicted win-win-win-loss, win-win-win-loss, 7-3, and 8-2, and two, that's what we think you're going to do. What we try and do is apply something that's a little more data-based and a little more skillful in nature than just guessing who's going to be healthy two months from now. So what we do is we apply a toughness rating to every game that you play. A lot of situational factors are taken into account here. So Colin's got that graphic for us, and we're going to show you LSU's schedule this year, and I'm going to tell you 1 to 10, 10 being the toughest, what I think about these games. And I want you to take notice of something. I'm going to come back to this in a second. LSU does not play a game rated 7 or higher until week 4, but they do play four games eventually rated 8 or higher. They do play them. They're just a little bit later in the season. I got them playing two games rated 10. That's at Florida, and that's against Alabama at home. We got two more games rated 8 or 9. Schedule makers did them a favor now because they only got four of them. Some teams in this conference play five or maybe even six of that nature. They got five games rated six to seven. No reason why they shouldn't be able to win every single one of those games. That's not a prediction. My prediction is coming in just a second. And then they got one game rated five or less. So let's talk about what our model spit out. This is what our model spat out for the best, worst, and most likely record projections. Wide variance here because of the talent but also the inexperience. Best case for LSU is all the way up at nine and one. The worst case was five and five, and our computer model has seven and three as its most likely record projection for LSU this year. I gotta be honest with you. I went against our own model projection with LSU by one game, and I actually bumped my official prediction of LSU up to eight and two, and it is heavily influenced by what I've heard out of there in about the past week and a half, and it's because the same People that had the same optimism last year have optimism this year, not to the degree they had last year, but it's the kind of reputation that you start to depend on. It's the kind of people you know you can depend on, and I don't think that they'd necessarily sell me a bill of goods. And the other thing that I want to focus on that led me to lean towards 8-2, and two, which is closer to the best case, I guess, than what our model spat out for the most likely, I look at their schedule that Colin just showed you there, and like I said, they don't start out with Alabama week one, Florida week three. That's not the way their schedule sets up. So if they're vulnerable, they'll be the most vulnerable, it stands to reason, early in the season. But you look at the schedule Colin's showing you, Mississippi State, double-digit favorite, Vanderbilt, double-digit favorite, Missouri, double-digit favorite, they have almost a month to get whatever they need to get in order in order before they play Florida. Now that Florida game is not a game that I figure them to be favored in. It's a game that's winnable, certainly. And if they were to get through that, or even if they don't get through that, look at how this sets up for them. South Carolina coming in there, you may wonder why that's a seven. Look what it's sandwiched between. Games against Florida and Auburn. On the road, no less. That's why it's a seven, not because South Carolina is going to set the world on fire this year. It is a workable schedule. It is not easy, but it is workable. And after they get through that stretch of Florida and Auburn, and there's a bye week there, and then Alabama, three games in five weeks, I mean, who in the world knows what Texas A&M is going to be? I only know what I know about A&M now. I don't know what A&M is going to be at the point they played. I and mean, that's a rivalry game. A&M's got a very good roster. It's been dealt a couple of blows lately. But 8-2, and two, that's what I'm going with for LSU for my most likely record projection this year. And I will take your comments. Where else? In the comment section. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. But we got a lot of games this week to talk about. And I'm going to talk about the LSU-Mississippi um, State game Thursday night. So you want to tune back in for that. But as for our focus games this week, we got a couple of them in the SEC. Tennessee goes to South Carolina. Tennessee right now, a three-point favorite, maybe three-and-a-half, depending on which outlet you're looking at. This is a 7.30 Eastern kickoff on the SEC Network. There may not be a more unpredictable game all year in the SEC East than this one. But I want to deal a pretty harsh reminder to everyone watching here, including coaching staffs, players, what have you. Everyone knows that people have been dealing with COVID. I mean, Tennessee has been riddled with COVID headlines more than even football headlines. And that's all well and good until you lose a game. No one cares about the excuses for COVID. No one, no one cares to spend 30 seconds listening to Tennessee lose 23 to 13 Saturday and then afterwards say, I, we just, you know, COVID dealt us a tough blow, man. We couldn't get ready. That may be true. No one wants to hear it. That's just a harsh reality. Uh, if you were doing this for charity, maybe. You're not. You're getting paid a whole lot of money for this. So right or wrong, fair or foul, that's the way it is. Plenty of focus going to be on Colin Hill, not the director of the show, but the recently named starting quarterback for the University of South Carolina. Does he have a chance to succeed? Colin Hill, even independent of his skill set, he came over with Mike Bobo on the transfer market from Colorado State and recently won the job over Ryan Helensky for this game. I don't know if that's a season-long decision, but he's starting Saturday. Is he going to be given the chance to succeed? By that, of course, I mean... I look at the offensive line here. Certainly the wide receiver core is a question. The running back stable minus Marshawn Lloyd is a question. How many of these units are truly SEC caliber? I was over on the Big Spur today. I saw some of the guys over there asking some of the same questions. In fact, I think you guys have been pretty brutally and fairly honest about your preseason assessments here. There's optimism, but it's all surrounded by these little question marks. Like every, every thought bubble above your head has little question marks in it. There have been flashes of competition in practice. I don't doubt that. Everyone has that. You can't have the kind of athletes that you have at a major SEC university and not have flashes of promise in practice. But I also don't think that South Carolina is going to put anything on the field in terms of perimeter skill that Tennessee is not equipped to handle. So how is South Carolina going to generate offensive production here? How much offensive production do they need? And that maybe doesn't correlate with how many points they need. I'll get back to that in just a second. As for Tennessee... Something I like, something I don't like here. What I love in a year, like I said, where they've been ravaged in an offseason where they've been ravaged by all kinds of COVID concerns and you don't know who's gotten how much practice time. We don't fully know who's going to play Saturday, to be honest with you. Here's what I know they have. I know they've got a head coach that was there last year. I know Jim Chaney, the offensive coordinator, was there last year. Uh, I know for better or for worse, Jared Garantano was there last year. I know they've got a veteran offensive line that may be one of, if not the best in the country. A lot of those things I know. 
And why that matters is because in a game that could very well be sloppy, at least what I think that does, is it removes the possibility of me looking up and Tennessee and South Carolina are in an absolute dogfight in the fourth quarter. Both teams have turned it over three times and Tennessee has 125 yards and procedural penalties. At least I think I know that won't happen. I don't know about the turnovers, but at least I think I know you're not constantly shooting yourself in the foot. Crowd noise shouldn't be nearly as big an issue as it normally would on the road. That's what I like about what I think I know about Tennessee. What I concern, what I concern myself with, with what I think I know about Tennessee is, you remember one year ago, not this week, but one year ago, in the 2019 season, Will Muschamp showed that he knows how to steal a win. Now, he had to be plus four turnovers to do it, but they did it at Georgia. They weren't the better team last year. They ended up being the better team that afternoon. They didn't have the necessary offensive production that day, so I circled back around. Can Colin Hill get what he needs here? But I also, in a secondary nature, ask, how many offensive points do they need? Do they have 17 non-offensive points that are scored in this game? Do they have starting field positions, three of which start inside the Tennessee 25-yard line because of turnovers or kick returns? That kind of stuff is what I'm concerned with most when it comes to Tennessee. Because as much as I believe in that offensive line, as much as I believe that the consistency will help them quarterback year over year, offensive coordinator, head coach year over year, when we know that as many kids have missed time as have missed time at Tennessee, and when we know they've had as much disruption as they've had, when we know as recently as a week ago, Jeremy Pruitt was saying things like, we're going to have to kind of roll into the season a couple of weeks still in camp mode just because we don't have guys ready. You know where that affects you? That affects you on special teams. I think it would be foolish to assume that they've gotten all the guys that need to contribute on special teams, all the reps they need to have in practice on special teams. I tend to believe they've struggled to get guys who are just going to play corner or receiver enough reps there to feel comfortable. You're talking about added reps needed on kick units and return units. That's where that game could swing. You're not looking at a point spread of 25 here. It's three. And that's where that thing could swing. And Will Muschamp and company showed you last year, and they are fully capable of stealing a win from you. You could be plus 150 yards on them, but if you don't win that hidden yardage game, and if you give them an opening there, they can kick the door in. They're talented enough to do that. They're not going to contend with you know, Georgia or Alabama. They can kick the door in and get an upset win early in the season. So let's look at our game capsule here, and then I'm going to give you my official prediction on it. So as I said, the Vegas number right now, Tennessee minus three. Our model likes Tennessee more than the odds makers do. We've got the Vols all the way up. In fact, I put six and a half. It's about 6.7. And so it's, it's almost a full touchdown that we like Tennessee in this game. And I have no reason to go against that. Having said all of what I said about special teams, I have yet to find a model that consistently forecasts hidden yardage one way or the other. I mean, that is a crapshoot. That is a B.O.B. special, bounce of ball special the likes of which we can't forecast. So I have no choice but to go with this. I'm going to go with Tennessee to win the game. I'm going to go with Tennessee to cover. And we'd like the Vols to start 1-0. Probably the game I'm looking most forward to out of any game in opening weekend is Auburn, Kentucky. Auburn and Kentucky, they play in week one on the Plains. We're about to talk about it and break it down right now. These are, for my money, the two sleeper teams in the SEC, each division. These are the two teams that either people don't want to buy into, in the case of Kentucky, just because they don't feel like the roster is adequate to compete at the highest level, or in Auburn's case, maybe the roster is talented year in and year out, but in this particular year, you have so many question marks everywhere, you don't know what to expect. So they play each other. 
naturally, in week one. Let's talk about this for a second. Easily, by 10 miles to me, the biggest key matchup here is Kentucky's offensive line. I think they have guys drawing retirement. They get AARP mail already. That's how experienced they are on the offensive line. And they're going to come in and they're going to face an Auburn team whose hallmark has been stellar defensive line play for the past several years. And they just lost a guy by the name of Derek Brown. And they just lost a guy by the name of Marlon Davidson. And there's a lot of think at Auburn. They think they have the guys necessary to plug and play here. They think that. I don't know that. They don't know that. It is probably one of the biggest tests that you could have to open. Because here's the thing. I, I know a lot of people, when you're trying to find an upset in week one or trying to find an upset period, you want to find that game no one's talking about. And everyone's talking about Kentucky. But uh, Bud Elliott was in our Slack room today, and he was saying, am I the only one that hasn't picked Kentucky yet? It seems like everyone's picking Kentucky here. And so that turns some people off. Now, let's talk about the matchup here in and of itself. This offensive line matchup against uh, Auburn's thus far, I would say, unproven at the highest level defensive line uh, stands to reason when it's week one. You think, oh man, so many people have talked about this offensive line deal that, I mean, Auburn's going to know that's coming. Yeah, they do. Uh, They probably knew it was coming long before you ever thought about it. But here's the thing about being out physical at the line of scrimmage. Here's the thing about having a physical edge at the line of scrimmage. You can know it's coming five years ahead of time. Yeah, five years you could recruit to stop it. So you can know it's coming five months ahead of time. doesn't matter. If the edge is there, the edge is there. It's like if Colin were to walk in here, sledgehammer in hand. And he's crazy. He'll do it. If he were to walk in here, sledgehammer in hand, and I were just handcuffed here, I could know he's about to swing that thing and take my head off. This is violent. Put like a TV 14 rating on this preview. It wouldn't hurt any less. It wouldn't be any less effective. And so if Kentucky does possess the ability to lean on Auburn for four quarters and shorten this game and shave possessions down. doesn't matter if you, I, Kevin Steele, Gus Malzahn, anyone else knows it's coming. They're still going to be able to do it. So the big question is, will they be able to do it? If they are, and I think that's one of the concerns that Auburn has down there of how do they stand up physically replacing some stalwarts, some annual stalwarts in the SEC. I'm really looking forward to that. Because two edges, if you really think about this, just say Auburn versus Kentucky at home. Two edges that you would normally expect Auburn to have 99% of the time would be a huge home field advantage that's going to affect Kentucky, and you would expect them to have sizable advantages on the lines of scrimmage. And I don't know that they have either. In fact, I know they don't have a huge home field in this one. No one does. Guys, I don't know that they have that line of scrimmage edge either. If they do, it's pretty negligible to start the year. If they played six weeks from now, maybe it's different. The Auburn offense, what to expect? What to expect? Kind of rhetorical here because we're going to find out Saturday. But consider the offensive line on Auburn's side. They're replacing half a million guys. They, um, again, think. They think they have some adequate replacements here. It's been a weird year. No one's had access to practice. We don't really know. We hear whispers. Uh, Brodarius Ham is one of the best names in college football. Gets his shot at tackle. Uh, they got a transfer in from Akron that they're going to be able to hopefully count on. Nick Brahms at center has got a lot of experience. So they hope that those guys are reliable. I think running backs, the run game period, but the running back position has to be the engine of this team early on. As much as You want to believe in Bo Nix returning and that natural year one to year two progression and that natural bringing in of Chad Morris, new passing concepts. Let me tell you what the passing game is going to be for Auburn. Passing game early in the season, probably not going to look a whole lot different. You go play action, play action. You go run, 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 deep shot. 
That's going to be early in the season, what their passing game is. But here's the difference. I think they will incorporate far more heavily running backs and H-backs and tight ends in this passing game. And so that, coupled with four guys that they really believe they can count on at running back, that has to be the engine in this game. And it has to be the engine early in the season, period. The surprise element here that I don't know that I've heard anyone talk about that I think could decide this game is Kentucky's passing game. You didn't say that last year. Uh, you didn't definitely didn't say it with Terry Wilson there. In fact, all anyone knew was, hey, did you know Kentucky's got a wide receiver playing quarterback? Yeah, we know. Yeah, they know too. So Terry Wilson, um, he's back. Uh, Joey Gatewood's up there. We don't ever know if he's going to be cleared. But Terry Wilson, he's back. Let me tell you two facets of Auburn's defense that are relative unknowns right now. Pass rush and depth at corner. Now, Auburn fans, if you're watching this, you feel pretty comfortable about that depth at corner. But behind Roger McCreary, uh, you know, lately, there have been some names emerge there. I just want to caution you. These guys may pan out brilliantly. Names are not quality depth. Names are just that, names. And you never know if you got a bunch of average options that are battling it out, and those are the names you're hearing, or if you got a bunch of excellent options battling it out, and those are the names you hear. So right now what we know is Auburn's got a lot of names in that second corner spot. And it's listen, it's a great story. I mean, um, Jalen Simpson is a guy who was not slated to take that number two corner spot at Auburn a month ago. Well, he's taken it, and that's wonderful. But when you lack, potentially, pass rush, you even give Kentucky time to throw the ball, and you may have questions about depth at corner. Could it be that as everyone's focused on that running game and everyone's focused on Kentucky shaving possessions and minutes off of that game, could it be that a couple of explosive plays through the air, of all things, are what tilts that game for Kentucky? So, wild card, just like I said in the Tennessee game, special teams. Auburn has a lot of inexperience, a lot of youth at new positions, and so they've been hit by the COVID bug. They had to cancel or delay practices for a little while. You never know how that affected special teams. Kentucky, on the other side, pretty veteran laden. So you didn't hear nearly as many negative headlines in the COVID world out of Kentucky. So don't know. The hidden yardage game, don't know. Could be another slight unseen edge towards Kentucky. It sounds like I'm picking Kentucky by three touchdowns. Well, let's waste no more time. Let's take a look at this. Colin, we have the game capsule for this one. Vegas line, Auburn minus seven and a half. I think there's probably no more important half a point in the world of betting in college football this week than that seven and a half versus seven. We are much tighter on this game. Our model likes Auburn to win, but it's narrow. I think it was 3.75 and I rounded it up to four just because it looks cool. So we've got Auburn winning by four. I'm not going to second guess the model here. I feel in my heart of hearts that Auburn will find a way to win this game. I don't necessarily think that it will be an instant museum hangable classic. I think it'll probably be one that, it, well, if Kentucky wins, they'll love it. If Auburn wins this thing, there's still a chance they'll want to wad that thing up and throw it away uh, in terms of aesthetics. But a win is a win is a win, especially this year. So we like Auburn to win, but we like Kentucky to cover. Love trying to thread that seven and a half point needle. I was perusing Twitter, as you do, earlier today, and a lot of you were asking me a question about UCF and about teams in Florida, and I didn't know where it was coming from. I said, we talked about Central Florida Sunday night. They had a really good opener against Georgia Tech, and they won, and I mean, I, I thought we gave them a lot of credit, and we did. It wasn't about what we said, but I slowly came to realize what you were talking about was there was a quote that had surfaced from Dylan Gabriel. So, the quote from Dylan Gabriel, who is the quarterback, a very good one, might I add, at Central Florida, he said, we're the best team in Florida. 
I have no problem with that. Confidence is a wonderful thing. Yeah, Dylan Gabriel is a wonderful player. I just want to kind of frame this by taking you back. Occasionally we hop in the time portal. So I want to take you back 20 years. Let's go back to the 2000 version of you, wherever you are in life. What if I told you we're going to be having an argument in the year 2020, and it's going to be who's the best team in Florida, state of Florida, who's the best college football team? And the argument is going to be Florida, Miami, and Florida State fighting over whether they're better than Central Florida. What do we think about that? Do you even know, outside of geographically, it being an area, do you even know what Central Florida is back then? And so, that's where we find ourselves. Now, let me tell you what I think about all this after I tell you what someone else thought about it earlier today. Andrea Adelson works for ESPN. This is not a segment meant to knock Andrea Adelson. She was just the messenger. She delivered the quote from Dylan Gabriel, we're the best team in Florida. So then Andrea on Twitter earlier today, and I want to stress again, she does a great job covering the sport. This is not a shot at her at all. She said, I went to ESPN Stats and Info, and I asked them, could you generate point spreads? Could you tell me who would be favored? Now, that's a good question on her part. Here's the problem. ESPN spat back FPI, which is their own internal whatever system they use. Uh, they, they, to say the least, it's not all that highly respected in the betting world. Let's just leave it at that. And so the problem is... They didn't say, here's what we think the scores would be. They said, here's what the point spreads would be. And here's what they shot out at you. They said, we think Central Florida would be a 14-point favorite against Florida State. We think Central Florida would be a 13-point favorite against Miami. You probably already see the flaw here, but let me continue. And we think Central Florida would be a one-point favorite against Florida. Now, I want you to understand how flawed this is and how much you should see through this, and really just FPI in general, which I've used as a pinata from time to time on this show over the last couple of years. Just FPI in one word, no. No. Just brush it aside. Watch it as you would Comedy Central, but then brush it aside. I want you to understand what they just tried to pass off on you as actual information. They told you there's a team that would be favored by 14 against Florida State. That same team would be favored by 13 against Miami. Those two teams play Saturday, guys. This is not hard to figure out. It is really not hard to calculate point spreads. A lot of people tend to believe that there's this odds maker in a dark, smoky room in Las Vegas, and they, they shake a magic eight ball, and then they just... Whatever the eight ball says, that's what the line is. That's not the way this works. Believe it or not, there's this, there's this math thing that works its way into the equation. Florida State goes to Miami Saturday, and they play. Miami is favored by 11 and a half points against Florida State. Let's shave off the one and a half points that they're pretty standardly giving for home field. That means odds makers are telling you Miami is 10 points better than Florida State. How in the world is there only a one-point gap, then, you should ask, between what Central Florida would be favored by against Florida State and what they'd be favored by against Miami? Answer, there isn't one. It's just made up. So that's not what those point spreads would be, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you definitively what they would be. Here's what I will do and what FPI should have done, and that is tell you what we think the number would be. This is what we would project. There's a big difference in what we think versus what the actual line would be. Big difference. So here's what we think. I had our, um, I had, I plugged all these games into our model. We would favor Florida, University of Florida, by 13 points neutral field against Central Florida today if they played. 
We would favor Miami by two and a half points against Central Florida. We would favor Central Florida by 13 and a half against Florida State. Now I want you to know two things. I would take Central Florida plus the two and a half against Miami. I would give strong consideration to taking them plus the 13 against Florida. But that's what our model thinks the numbers would be. So I just... If you are into the world of sports wagering, you saw through that immediately. But what's kind of aggravating is a lot of you don't concern yourself with that. You save a lot of money in the process, but you hear that and you just think it's true because if it wasn't true, why would they tell you that? Well, they'd tell you that for reasons I don't need to get into because it'll get me in trouble, but just know everything's not always as it appears. Speaking of which, let's wrap the show up tonight with an addition or two to our Ramen Noodle Express. The Ramen Noodle Express was 2-3 and three last week. The Ramen Noodle Express will not remain sub-500 for very long. So we opened up with our original play that we do every Sunday night. We give you our best bet of the week, and we gave you Florida minus 12.5. A, a lot of you probably noticed the next day Florida went to minus 15. I think it's at 14.5 right now. That's why it's important not to miss a show. And that's why it's really important to watch the Sunday night show because that's where we get you sometimes our first best bet. Sometimes I'll give you two or three on a Sunday night. Having said that, Colin has a brand new edition on the graphic of the La Ramen Noodle Express that we use all week to give you tonight. So we already gave you Florida minus 12 and a half. We are going down to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and we are going over 56 in Mississippi State versus LSU. Feel very good about that when getting into the 60s. So, so far, we got Florida minus 12 and a half. We got Mississippi State LSU over 56. I may not wait until Thursday night to fill those remaining three boxes in. I just want you to know, follow me on Twitter, at LateKickJosh, but also listen to the podcasts because there may very well be a case where I drop one or two of those in a podcast, and so you don't want to miss those. Oh, and by the way, if you haven't, or if you're new maybe, to the entire Late Kick experience, Here's the way that works. We do Sunday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night, Late Kick Live. It airs right here on the YouTube channel. There is a replay of that in podcast form the following morning, but we also do two podcast onlys twice a week. That's on Tuesday morning and Thursday morning, and they're mailbag. And so I count on you to submit questions, and you do a great job, but I just wanted to remind those of you who are new here, you can email me, joshpate706 at gmail.com. You can hit me on Twitter. I leave my DMs open for everyone at Late Kick Josh, or you can look, if you're watching on YouTube right now, you can look right below this video and there is a pinned comment and you can reply to that comment. Or the most preferable way, if you are listening on Apple devices, is to go in the podcast, give us a five-star review because we want a thousand of them minimum, and then write a written review and put your question in the written review. Either way, I'll find it. And you guys have done a great job there. So we're going to be jam-packed again Thursday night. Um, we don't spend a dime marketing this show because you guys have done such a great job of being our marketing department. If the show sucks, you're not going to tell anyone about it and we'll be out of job soon. If it's good, then we don't have to pay to tell anyone about it because you'll do it for us. And to my knowledge, and as far as I can tell, looking in our analytics, you guys have done a great job of sharing our stuff and telling people about it. So thank you. From everyone here, I'm the one you hear, but everyone here, thank you so much for that. For Director Colin, for Jordan on the podcast side, I'm Josh Pate. We'll see you back here again Thursday night, same time. Until then, have a great rest of your week, and God bless. Plus and the National Park Foundation present 
a mountain of zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.